I like to uh, read uh, a lot of articles. I, I keep up with the news pretty frequently. I, I check probably different news sites, just read kind of the headlines at least once every day or every other day. And I do that just kind of to know what's going on. And, and a lot of times uh, what you find when you do that and you, you read the articles and you look at what's going on is you realize that with a 24-hour news cycle, there's a lot of garbage that gets passed, over, passed off as being uh, newsworthy. And, and so you kind of have to sift through that. And, and uh, so as I, as I watch and I look, sometimes I read and a lot of times I just go, oh, I didn't need to hear that or I didn't need to see that. And then sometimes different stories get traction. You hear them over and over and over and then they start to pop up in editorials and in blogs and on your Facebook and in your email and everything. And uh, really that happened the last couple of weeks. And if you, were, if you follow those types of things, you no doubt saw this and you heard this, but there was uh, lots of stuff that kept jumping out and kind of popping up about uh, a reality TV show and a man on the show that said some things, uh, his, his kind of opinion, but he was saying some, some really some biblical things. The guy's a believer. It's a TV show. I, I had not seen it. I had briefly heard of it before two weeks ago. It's called Duck Dynasty, and the guy on there said some things, and he's, he's a believer. The best I can tell in the little bit I know, having not seen the show, but just reading what he said, and what happened is it set off all kinds of debates and all kinds of things in what he said. And uh, what ended up happening is, is he, had, he had made some uh, statements about what is sin and, and what it looks like and why we need a Savior. And he really did uh, presented the gospel in a fairly, uh, I would say, biblical way. He talked about all these things that are sin, but in that he included homosexuality. And that upset a whole lot of people, and that set off a firestorm. And, and so if you know the story at all, if you don't, really what you need to know is what ended up happening is the TV show that he's on suspended him for what he said. And so the, you can understand why that set off all kinds of things, and people are talking about free speech, and can they do that, and why, you know, on and on and on. And so it became this huge debate, and I saw it over and over, editorials, blogs, all these different things. I've probably read 20 different things in the last two weeks on that and so what I'm going to talk about this morning is we're not going to talk about free speech and what I think about that or any of those things. That's just kind of the backdrop. If you want to know what I think about it or some of those things that happen, come ask me and we'll have the discussion. But that's not what we're going to do today. Today what I want us to think about is we live in a world where this is happening more and more uh, in increasing amounts, things that if you say anything what the Bible says, a lot of times it's offensive to people and they get up in arms and they get upset. And so what I want us to think about this morning is how do we respond? How do we live in a world like this as things become more antagonistic to the gospel, more antagonistic to what the Bible teaches us and tells us? How do we live in the midst of that? And the reason I was thinking about that this morning is we, we've really got a week. We just finished a series. We're going to start a new one next week. We had one week in here. And as I read all these things, uh, I just in my own personal devotion time, I was reading through Matthew 5, and what Jesus said just hit me in light of everything I've been reading and seeing. And so most of what I read, what I kept reading is uh, each time I would read one of these editorials or one of these comments, a lot of times I would read it and I'd go, yeah, but, right? Yeah, that's partly true. Or I'd say, that's true, but there's, that's not really the fullness of what Scripture teaches. Or, or, or sometimes I would read things uh, that were not from believers, and I'd go, oh, that's awful. And I, would kinda, I was wrestling with all these things. And what kept coming to my mind was, was something one of my favorite professors in seminary said. He'd say this over and over. You may have heard me say this before. But he'd say, we always want to live in the center of the biblical tension. 
And he'd say that all the time about different issues as he was teaching and he'd talk about it. And, and what he meant by that, and, and what I mean by that when I say that, is the Bible tells us some things very clearly. And sometimes there's some things that seem to be in a tension between one or the other. For example, the Bible clearly tells us that this is God's word. It's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, Hebrews says. And it cuts deeply. And it does. And it, it, it reveals our hearts and intentions, and it does that. And we're supposed to speak the truth, and the Bible talks about speaking the truth with love and with humility. And sometimes to speak the truth can be offensive to people. And so we have this choice of how, what does that look like? How do we do that lovingly? How do we live in the biblical tension of speaking the truth boldly and clearly, what Scripture tells us, but doing it with humility and with love and, and balancing those things, there's a tension there. And it's not always easy to see exactly what that looks like. And by the way, I don't pretend to say today all these articles and all these things, and now I'm going to tell you exactly like how it is. That's not what I'm saying. But what I want us to look at is what Scripture tells us. I want us to come face to face with Jesus' words and what he says when he talks about what it looks like to follow him and how we do that. And so hopefully what we'll do is we'll get more to the kind of the center of that biblical tension. At least that's my hope. And so I want you to think about, you know, the, the Bible tells us, as I just said in Hebrews, that, the, that God's word is, is like a sword, a two-edged sword. And it talks about the, the word at different points in the Bible like that. And I want you to think about just even that analogy, right? A sword can cut and it can cut deeply. And so when we use God's word and we talk about it, we don't apologize for it, but we want to be careful in how we wield it. Right? We don't just go out and start chopping and go because this is what it says, and so I'm, I have the right to just go and just clobber everybody with it. But we need to have that, with, with, uh, that, exa- the, that idea of really speaking the truth with great humility and love. And I want us to think about that. And so the, the question over today that, I, the, that I'm getting at is, is in a culture that has moved in a lot of ways, in direct opposition of what Scripture says, how do we respond and how do we live in light of that? And by the way, it's not that culture is just getting worse and worse. It's always been bad. God's Word has always offended, always. It's just different issues offend more than others at different times in history. But it's always been that way. And so that's always going to be the case. Jesus was talking about it 2,000 years ago. He actually says it in our passage that we're going to look at this morning. But it is going to offend. And so how do we live in that tension? And so the way I want to do this is is to look at a very familiar passage in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Chris read it for us just a second ago. That's really where we're going to spend most of our time, right there at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. And before we jump into it, let me just give you kind of background here. This is Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So his disciples are there and he begins to teach them and then crowds are coming and they're listening and he's teaching them. And what we get here at the beginning is, is what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn and who are meek and hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we know those as very familiar passage and, and you've probably, if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard that at different times. And, and as we read that passage and we hear those things, I want you to think about what Jesus is really saying, though. I think sometimes we take that passage, and maybe you've heard this, or maybe you've thought this, and we read that and we go, well, this is what God's requiring of us, and this is what it looks like if we're going to kind of earn our way in with God. Right? I'm going to do these things the best I can, and if I do these things really well, then maybe I can be worthy of being called a Christian. I've heard a lot of people talk about this passage like that. And I think that's not what Jesus is saying, and I want to make sure that we see what he's saying and what he's telling us so that we see how this makes sense and how this informs us as we seek to live in the biblical tension in the world that we're in. 
And so what he's saying and what he's getting at here, what Jesus says, is he's talking about, if you see right at the beginning, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or in verse 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Or blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is getting at is this idea here of the picture of what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now, scripture tells us what that looks like, how that happens, is you put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you. Right? That's how you become a citizen of the kingdom. Right? That Jesus is talking about what it looks like for someone who has met met the risen Christ, who's put their faith in them, and then he starts to change them from the inside out. Actually, Phil just prayed that for us, that we'd be changed from the inside out. We meet the risen Savior. We see what he's done for us. We put our faith in him. The Holy Spirit comes in, regenerates us, starts us to make us over into his image. And so what he's talking about and what he's looking at here is he's talking about those that have put their faith in Christ and what their life is now going to look like, an overflow of what it's going to look like to be in the kingdom. Right? to be uh, saved by what Christ has done for us. Think about uh, maybe one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right? That's, that's one we learn as little children. We say a lot, we think about a lot. The picture there is when we put our faith in Christ, we now have eternal or everlasting life. But the way the Bible presents that is as you put your faith in Christ, the power that is going to bring you everlasting life, that's going to bring you eternal life, comes into your life now in the Holy Spirit. And you begin to live out of the power that is to come right now. God begins to remake you. Titus 3 says that, that he pours the Holy Spirit into you, the washing of the regeneration. The Holy Spirit begins to work in you, and you begin to live out of this new life of what Christ is doing in your life. And so when Jesus is talking about all these things, he's pointing to us what it looks like to live out of that. And so what I want you to see and what I want us to be careful as we look at Matthew 5 is Matthew 5 is really the characteristics of one type of person. Sometimes we can go, well, blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the meek, right? So you should try to be meek and you should try to, maybe maybe you mourn better and over here we're meek better and somebody else is, is a little more poor in spirit and we try to do those. No, what he's saying is all these things begin to come out as you're being transformed in the spirit. It's a picture of what it looks like to be being changed by the Holy Spirit in your life. And so what I want you to see is, is the picture here of what Jesus paints in the Beatitudes, and as we read through this, is a wonderful picture of what it looks like to live in the biblical tension in the world we live in. It's all these things together. It's not one or two of them, which sometimes we like to do. We like to pick a couple of them and go, I'm pretty good at these, and yeah, that's where I'm going to land. And, and I'm not really that great at being merciful. I'll just leave that over there, right? But it's all of them. We should be growing in all these together. And so as I say that, what I want us to do is look at this together and think about how we respond in the world that we live in, how we live out of that biblical tension of what God calls us to. And so I want to ask three questions as we look at this. And the first question is just simply this. What are we to say or what are we to do in the midst of a world that is vehemently opposed to God's word? That's what we're seeing. That's what you see out of this story Someone says something, paraphrases what Scripture says, and people get really angry. So how are we to live? What should we do in that? What does it tell us? What does Jesus show us that we should do? Secondly, what will be the response to that? 
What will be the response to that? Or, or what will be the result if we do what he's telling us to? And then lastly, how should we respond, right? So we're supposed to do something. There's going to be a response. And then how do we take that, right? And so let's think about that together. First, uh, what are we to say or do in the midst of a world that is adamantly opposed to God's word? And so I want you to start with me looking at verse 9. Again, it's all these together, but I think if we miss what verse 9 is talking about, we can miss a whole lot of what this is talking about. So verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know, And then verse 10, right after that, says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to think about this for just a second, this idea of blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I think we can think of peacemakers and I, I, I'm guilty of this. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I can think of peacemakers just being somebody is when someone is really uh, strong in their opinions and they're saying, no, it's this or it's this and God's word's crazy here and I don't agree with that. And you can think sometimes as a peacemaker as being, well, I'm just not going to go there. This will go a lot better if I just don't say anything because if I do, this is going to end badly because they're going to get upset with what I'm going to say. And so we can think, well, I'll be a peacemaker and I just won't say anything. But I want us to think biblically about what Jesus means when he's talking about being a peacemaker. What, what it means to really be a peacemaker. And when you read through scripture and you start at the very beginning of the Bible and you start to unfold the whole picture of what God is teaching us through scripture is this. Right at the very beginning, God creates us in his image after his likeness to be in relationship with him. And then we see in Genesis 3, we turn our back on him. And in doing so... When Adam and Eve decide that they're going to ignore God, what happens is they are no longer at peace with God. The Bible teaches that there's now enmity between man and God. The, the relationship has been broken in a way because we have decided we're not going to trust him. We're going to go on our own and we're going to do this ourselves. That's really what happens in the garden. It's the same thing with our sin. I say that all the time, very purposely, that sin is ignoring God and the world that he created. When we decide to turn our back and ignore God, that's what sin is. That's what the Bible defines it as. And so the picture all throughout Scripture is our greatest need, our greatest issue we're dealing with, all the things that come to the surface are because there's enmity between us and God, our relationship with God. We're ignoring God and the world he's created, and there's a problem. We're not at peace with God, and so we seek to have peace in all different ways. And so the picture that I want you to see when we talk about this idea of to understand peacemakers, that Jesus is pointing us to helping people be at peace with God through what he would do for us. Right? If you weren't here on Christmas Eve, that was, that was the message. If you weren't here, you're going to get it in 30 seconds, maybe 45 seconds. Christmas Eve has said that uh, Jesus' coming is the greatest gift that's ever been given because he reconciles us to God. Right? And we looked at Colossians 1 for that. Right? That's what Paul tells us in Colossians 1, that Jesus came to reconcile us to God, and he says it this way. He says, uh, Making peace by the blood of his cross, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, and he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so when we look at Colossians 1, what Paul tells us is that we have been given peace with God through Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. That's the heart of the gospel. We are separated from God because of our sin, and God enters the world, and Jesus, he lives the perfect life. He does what we could never do for us, and then he gives it to us as a gift through faith. I say that every single week. 
the most important truth there is. That the God of the universe has reconciled us, that has given us peace with God. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's what we're getting at here. The idea of helping to point people to their need of Jesus and what he's done for them. Ultimately, that's what it means to be a peacemaker. That is the most important peace you can have in your life. And so when we start to see it that way and understand it that way, you can understand why the very next verse says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. When you start to call sin out and our need and point people to Jesus, it's offensive to us. And what I mean by us is all people. Not just Christians or non-Christians or whoever, all of us apart from the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to see it, that is radically offensive. Because what you're saying is that you have been uh, broken off in your relationship with God and you can do nothing to fix it. You need a Savior. People don't like to hear that. And so it becomes very offensive. In our culture today, it becomes so offensive. What we've done is we've decided to redefine what tolerance means. I don't know if you know this or if you've noticed this. Tolerance used to mean I could say to my friend or my neighbor or whoever and say, well, we're sinners and we're separated from God and we need Jesus. And my neighbor might say, I don't believe that. I don't really think that's the case. And we'd talk about why we see it differently. And then we would agree to disagree and we'd still have cookouts together and spend time together. And we would tolerate one another's opinions. We would disagree kindly. Today it's become to mean you can't say anything I disagree with. So don't talk, right? And so that's kind of the way we've redefined it today. Now, what Jesus tells us is blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you when you point people to their need for Jesus. And then you're going to be persecuted because of that. It's going to be offensive at different ways. And so what I want us to think about just at this first point is what do we do in the midst of a world that is adamantly opposed to what Scripture says? You seek to be peacemakers. You seek to point people to Jesus and their need for Him. Now, I want to be real careful in how I say that, though. You're to do that with great humility and love. This is not a blanket statement. Okay, well, Jesus says, bless you when you go out and you tell people they're sinners and they need Jesus, and so do it. Just go, right? That's where we go back to wielding the sword, right? You do it with great humility and love. And it's going to be through relationships, that was one of the things that was heartbreaking for me this week as I was reading all these editorials and Facebook comments and all this stuff. It just becomes like this angry thing. No one's actually talking to each other. They're not actually having a relationship. It's just like throwing these things out there. And so it's not what we're called to be. But what we are called to be is we are called to speak the truth in love. We are called to say it. Say it. Right? You even see it in verse 14. Jesus says in verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Right? He says you don't hide it. You seek to be peacemakers. You seek to reveal the greatest need that we have and how Jesus is the answer for that. And so I want us just to start there. How do we respond in our culture? We seek to point people to Christ, even if it's going to upset them. And that's the second thing I want us to get to. What will be the response if you do? What will be the result if you seek to biblically be a peacemaker and point people to their need for Jesus, he says it right here in verses 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets for who were before you. And so what Jesus says here is notice this. He doesn't say when you do this, you might be persecuted. He doesn't say uh, if you're persecuted. He says blessed are those who are persecuted. And then in verse 11, when others revile you. He says if you're doing this, if you're truly seeking to be a peacemaker, if you're really trying to seek to point people to Jesus, there will be persecution. People will not like to hear that. That is going to happen. And so as I was reading so many things and different uh, responses, the things that are going on, and, and I don't even really care so much about that story, but I hear that a lot. I can't believe so-and-so would say this, or I can't believe... And, and I often hear people get really upset. I can't believe people are upset by this. And I want to go, have you read Matthew chapter 5? Do you know what Jesus' life was like? Right? Jesus, who was the perfect embodiment of speaking the truth and love and doing it with great grace and humility and meeting people where they were, what happened to him? We killed him. He, he did it perfectly. He did it with all love and all humility in the perfect balance and in the perfect way, and we killed him. And so when people get so, I can't believe that people would be upset by God's word, I go, Really? I mean, that's what Jesus says here. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They have persecuted every person who stood up and clearly proclaimed what God says. That's always been the case, right? And so the reason is the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it exposes us. It exposes the intentions of our heart. It shows us functionally what we worship. And when we step in and say we were made to be all about God, that offends us. That cuts us deeply. It shows us and we rebel against it. The the whole thing that came out of this, uh, the the Duck Dynasty and what this guy said, it ended up being a complete uh, homosexuality debate. It got turned into that. That's the thing today. You can't say that is wrong or that... And what I want to get to, and and this is not a sermon on homosexuality, but I will say this. The Bible is clear that it is called sin by God. And what you get to is this. Does God get to decide what sin is, or does man get to decide what sin is? And the Bible tells us that sin is ignoring God and his world that he decides. And that really upsets us. And it upsets all of us in different ways. You know, we like to make it into debates about hot-button issues homosexuality being one of them, it's the same issue of every single one of our hearts. We want to be the uh, king of my life and I decide what's right for me. And we all do it in different ways. Now sadly, even within the church, we like to make homosexuality the really, really bad one. It's okay that I gossip and it's okay that I'm angry with my neighbor and it's okay that I look at pornography and it's okay that I do this or I do that, but homosexuality, that's where we draw the line. It's the same heart issue. All of us ignore God in the world he created. That's, that's the bottom of the issue. And so the picture here is when we hear what God's word says, we're all going to be cut. We're all going to rebel at different times and go, oh, wait a second, I'm not sure about that. And so we shouldn't be surprised that there's a rebellion or a persecution against what God's word says. That's going to happen. 
But I want to be real careful here, and I want this to be very clear with what Jesus says. A lot of what I saw is, is I saw responses, and it's this way with any issue. If you read any editorials online, they end up becoming just like this angry back and forth. And it becomes kind of straw man arguments. It's not even really what people believe or what they say. And we just lob grenades back and forth at each other. No one's really talking and no one's really seeing it. And, and what happens is what I see is a lot of times Christians uh, take it on themselves to go, well, I spoke the truth and I said it. And so therefore I'm persecuted and they kind of pat themselves on the back. But what happens is we end up being really obnoxious in the way we do it. We become really arrogant and we become really short-sighted, and we go, well, I'm speaking the truth, and so it's okay. But I want you to notice what Jesus says here. Read with me in verse 10 what he says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for, and then look at what he says, righteousness' sake. Or in verse 11, he says, Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He doesn't say, blessed are you when you're obnoxious. Blessed are you when you beat people over the head with the truth. He doesn't say that. He says when they falsely persecute. What he's saying is when people are offended by the truth of the gospel, that you are a sinner and you need a savior, blessed are you when that happens. But it's not a blessing when you're obnoxious. right? It made me think of a, a, a quote from, from Tim Keller. Uh, a pastor I like a lot, he's in, he's in New York City, and he said this, this is written, I wrote this down from a sermon I listened to his a couple of years ago. And he says, if you are being persecuted all the time, you are probably an obnoxious person. And then he says, and if you are never being persecuted, you are probably a coward. Because if you are speaking the truth in love, there are going to be times when it upsets people coming face to face with what God's Word says. But if everything you says, everything you say just makes people go, oh, it's probably because you're obnoxious. And that is not a blessing. That's not a good thing. That's not what Jesus is saying here. And so I want us to think about this. You know, it's very easy in the light of the times we live in to go, man, it's just easier not to go there. It's just easier not to say these things because I know people are going to get upset and I know what's going to happen, and so I'll just ignore it. Right? I'll just kind of go, oh, somebody asked me, I'll just kind of shrug it off and pretend like it's not that big of a deal. And you can do that, but that's not really being a peacemaker biblically, what it's talking about. And so I, I, what kept coming to mind as I was thinking about that, there's a song that I like a lot. It's from a band here in Atlanta. They're a rock band, but they have a couple of guys in their band that are, that are Christians. And so a lot of their songs end up having these really big, heavy, kind of weighty theological things in there. But they have this song where they say this. They say, what if I was wrong and no one cared to mention and then it says, simple math, the truth cannot be fractioned. And I think about that song and what that says. If I was wrong and no one cared enough to tell me, right? That's not loving. That's not being a peacemaker. That's not helping to restore people to their relationship with God through Jesus if you just keep your mouth shut. It made me think of, and I've used this before if you've heard this before. There was a comedian, his name's Penn Gillette, if you've ever heard of Penn and Teller. They're comedian and they're, uh, what do you call it, magicians, ridiculous over top kind of guys. But this guy, Penn Gillette, is, a, is an atheist and he's very outspoken. He's written a book on it, <clears throat> just on his beliefs and, or lack of beliefs, I guess, depends on who you ask. Uh, his beliefs and nothing, but um, he, he wrote this book and, and so somebody asked him the question. They said, are you offended 
when an evangelical Christian tries to share their faith with you. If somebody comes and tells you about Jesus and what he's done and heaven and hell, are you offended by that? And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, well, you know, the, the person, it was actually him talking about this kind of a monologue, but he said, I'm not, and I'll tell you why I'm not. If you really believe that there's a God and you really believe that there's an afterlife and there's a real heaven and a real hell and Jesus is the way to escape hell and to be with God forever, how much would you have to hate me not to tell me? It's from an atheist. And he sees the clear, with clarity that if you really believe this, how can you not say? He has a better understanding than a lot of believers do on evangelism and why it's important and why we are called to be peacemakers, as Jesus says. Right? That if we really believe this, how could we not? How could we not share our faith with others? And even though we're tempted sometimes to just say, well, I'll just be quiet and I'll, that's how I'll be a peacemaker, that's not what Scripture calls us to. And so the first thing we would say is we, we are to speak the truth in love. The second thing is persecution is going to come and we shouldn't be uh, surprised by that. There are going to be things when you open your mouth and you hold forth what God's Word says, people are going to be upset. But where I want us to land this morning for just a couple of minutes is how do we respond when that happens? Because it's going to happen. And that's what I saw all week, different responses from a lot of people who claim to be Christians, some people that I knew were friends and different things that wrote different things online and different stuff. And what I saw a lot of times was just angry, right? It devolved into this kind of like angry, shaking your fist and they're wrong and and yelling and no one's really listening and nothing's really good is coming out of it, right? Poorly articulated with just a lot of loud talking, basically. And so what do we do if we're trying to share the love of Christ and you're trying to be a peacemaker in the most biblical sense and you're spending time with someone and they get angry with you? That's ridiculous. I can't believe you would believe that. I can't believe you would believe in a God like that. Or I can't believe... Whatever it is, and they start to do that. They start to get upset. Is the thing we should do as Christians in this world run to Facebook and write angry posts. Can't believe those people. You know, or should we go blog about it? Those group over there is so wrong and I can't believe they're saying this and those kind of things, right? Is that living in the center of the biblical tension that Matthew 5 talks about? I don't think it is. I don't think that's what we're called to be. I think we're called, actually, I kind of know what we're called to be and I'm going to tell you why. Because my king tells me what I'm called to be. Because my king showed me what we're supposed to be. And the way he lived and the way he died and the way he willfully laid his life down for those that were persecuting him. Listen to Jesus' words in verse 43. right? Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so the answer of what do we do and how do we respond according to our king, we love people. That's how we respond. We love them and we pray for them. That's what he says. 
And so when we can get into this mentality of now we're going to dig our heels in and we're going to go to war and I'm right here. I'm so right and I'm going to tell them and I'm going to make sure everybody knows. Right? That's not what we're called to do. We're called to respond as people who are poor in spirit. Who people who mourn over the state of our world and our rebellion against God. We are called to be people who are meek. We are called to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is right to be hurt and upset by the blatant disregard of God's word, but the way that that plays out is you are merciful and you are kind and you are loving. You show them what Jesus looks like. It's not we go to war now. It's we die to ourselves and we love people the way Jesus loved us. That's the picture that's all through Scripture. Right? I kept thinking, and, and, and I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone. There's times when I watch uh, interviews and I watch them on the news or whatever, and there'll be two sides, and, and one guy will be a Christian, and he'll say the Christian side, and the other guy will just rail on them and mock them and make fun of them, and I, my blood will boil. I'm like, oh, I can't believe Right? I can't believe they would say that. And you get really, you, you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but you can quickly slip into being angry. And just so clearly this week, over and over and over, God was going, that guy that makes you so mad is you by the grace of God. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. To realize that all that I have is because of Jesus and what he's done for me, and nothing else. It completely levels that. That's exactly what Ephesians 2 says. We all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Let me remind you, grace means undeserved merit. You didn't deserve it. And he loved you so much that he died and gave you through faith what you could never do. And so the answer is pretty simple on what it looks like on how we respond. Yes, you are called to speak the truth with great love and humility. And then when people are angry about it and they get upset, that's going to happen. And then your job, and this is so wonderful, is just to love them. That's it. And when we get that, it is so freeing. Right? I think of words of wisdom a freshman in college told me when I was a freshman, one of my best friends. I was dating, who's now my wife, and we weren't really dating, fine line. She was not a Christian. And my friend looked at me and he said, you speak the truth in love and you let God convict her. Right? That's your job. You speak the truth in love and you seek to love people and then you let God be God. He takes over. He's already taken over. It's just we don't realize it. He's already in control. And so our job is just to love people. That's the response. We get to just love them the way Christ loved us and be the hands and feet in Jesus to a broken world. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that uh, you would make this real to our hearts. I pray that you would show us so clearly this morning the grace that you have extended to us, that we would overflow with grace and love towards the world that you've placed us in. I pray that you would give us great humility 
pray that you'd give us a great boldness to point people to what you've done for us, that we would, we would truly seek to be peacemakers. We would seek to love the people that you've put into our lives. But I pray that you'd just give us uh, the mind of Christ, that we would love people in the way that you've loved us. We thank you for all that you've done for us, and we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Come to a time of worship through our giving.